According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thought we'd finish Matthew 24 last week and move on to 25 for today, but we still have some issues to deal with at the end of 24. So let's take one more session in Matthew 24. We are uh, looking at the imperative to be on the alert from verse 42 and the uh, verses that take us down to the end of the chapter, verses 42 through 51. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So we do not know which day in verse 42, and we do not know at what hour, verse 44. The day and the hour in the Lord's hands, and uh, we understand that and we appreciate that. All right, before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, making sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and prepared to handle spiritual truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day, for the truth of Your Word, for the privilege and blessing that we have to assemble together, Father, the freedom that our land still enjoys. Father, we see, uh, we see more and more darkness, Father, in our land, and more and more freedoms are being diminished. But at least on this day, Father, we still have the freedom to assemble together. We have a, uh, pr- uh, the privilege of owning a building. The doors are still open. The lights are still on. And uh, Father, for that, we acknowledge Your grace. We acknowledge Your glory. Father, uh, continue to provide, continue to protect as we continue to study your truth, Father. And we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 24. This is commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse, although in our Harmony of the Gospels we have it broken down into two episodes, episode 12 and episode 13, basically uh, taking episode 12 as being the Matthew 24 portion of this discourse and uh, episode 13 as the Matthew 25 portion of this discourse, but if you uh, if you have a red letter edition of your New Testament, then you'll notice it's pretty much all red across the page here, uh, taking you from chapter 24 to chapter 25, almost without even the Lord taking a breath. And uh, we'll see that as we show you that transition today. The uh, final uh, emphasis that's made here at the end of 24 is an emphasis on readiness, an emphasis, an emphasis on being on the alert and being ready. And uh, that's what uh, follows with the parable. Uh, you've got virgins and you've got talents in, uh, that start off chapter 25. And these are illustrations, the parables that illustrate the imperative that we have to be ready, the doctrine that's taught, to be on the alert, the doctrine that's taught there in, uh, in Matthew 24. All right. Those of you who are following along in the outline and keeping your notes, uh, we are at point 12. And the outline as we're giving it here in this chapter, the imperative to be alert, the imperative to be alert, therefore be on the alert. Now, the therefore, you ask yourself, what's it there for? Why is being alert uh, an application? It's an application in light of what preceded that, uh, the imperative to learn the parable from the fig tree. And uh, again, we have day and hour that are stressed here in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son or the Father alone. 
So we have the imperative to be on the alert with both day and hour unstated, unprophesied, unknown. We want to be clear on that. Uh, Recognize that uh, the primary application for this is not ours. The primary application for this are going to be the tribulational martyrs, going to be the tribulational believers, the ones that are going to see the abomination of desolation. All right. I think it's damaging the people that do terrible things with this text. Try to turn this into a rapture passage, for example, with one taken and one left. Um, That's not a rapture passage. This is a second advent of Jesus Christ passage. And the ones that are taken are the unbelievers that are taken out of this world. They're bound up like sheaves and thrown into the fire. Only believers will enter into the millennial kingdom. Those that are taken are the unbelievers that are taken and thrown into, into hell for judgment. The ones that are left are going to be the believers that will pass into the millennial kingdom and form generation zero that will begin to populate the earth in the millennial kingdom. So there's tremendous damage done in this chapter. And that's why I don't mind taking the time to redundantly, slowly, step by step, walk you through it and show you that this, we have a calendar. We have a, a, a sequence here in this chapter. When you, when you read a verse like verse 29 where it says immediately after the tribulation of those days, well, guess when that verse is going to happen? It's going to happen immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay? We're, we're very blessed to, to uh, have the literal hermeneutic we have to take, particularly when the time sequence is spelled out the way that it is. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. So we have all these things. This sign is not for us. This is not for the church. The church has nothing to do with this chapter. I hope we're, we're good on that. Now, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now, we have an imperative be on the alert in the church age, and so we can appreciate the application for our applications on a secondary basis. Hope we understand that. This is not our text. But because we have to be on the alert, Dan, I don't know that those front doors got unlocked. Can you unlock those doors, please? And then, uh, I guess, lock the back doors, too. Normally, Doug does that. Thank you, sir. All right. So this is not our application. This is Israel's application. But ours, uh, because we live in the church, because the church ends with a rapture, because the church has an imminency application and uh, an alert application. We'll show you all the verses in the New Testament that relate to the verb gregoreo and that relate to our application. Because we have the imperative to be on the alert, we can learn from these passages on a secondary basis. And I hope we're clear on that. We're not applying it primarily. We're applying it secondarily. Okay? So, the um, and that's, that's standard procedure for what we do as church-age believers. This standard procedure for how we apply the Old Testament, right? We apply it on a secondary basis within the parameters of our church-age application. We don't ignore our Old Testament. So hopefully we're going to be clear on that as well. All right, sub-point A then. The day and the hour of Christ's second advent is only known by God the Father. We're told that in verse 36. We're told that in verses 42 and 44. That day and hour, no one knows. So the exact day is unknown. Realizing, of course, that with the signing of the, of the covenant with Antichrist, you can start counting days. 
You can start counting three and a half years or 1,260 days. You can start counting 42 months, the three and a half years, the time, times, and half a time. You can see that, that covenant betrayed halfway through. You can then start counting the second half of the tribulation, day after day after day after day with 1,260 days, equal to the three and a half years, equal to the 42 months. But the reason why you can't just mark your calendar and say, well, that's the day Christ is coming back is because we're told that for the sake of the elect, that those days were cut short, that in God's mercy, he cuts those days short. How short does he cut them one day short, two days short, five days short? We don't know. Seven days, 30 days. We don't know. But they are cut short for the sake of the elect. And so because they're cut short of an unknown number of days, we don't know the day. Neither do we know the hour. We do not know the precise hour on whatever particular day it ends up being. Neither the day nor the hour, but only the Father alone. Now, under any application of imminency, the primary imperatives are watchfulness and readiness. Watchfulness and readiness. We'll give you both imperatives here today and we'll take a look at them. Gregoreo is our verb for watchfulness. And I think I gave you that verb last week. Uh, I don't think we looked at all the verses, but we gave you the, the, the term last week. And then uh, preparedness, readiness, uh, doing something about what you're looking at. Okay, It's one thing to see the train walk, uh, approaching, but if you're still standing on the track when it hits you, then what good was it watching the train approach? Right. So we watch the day approach. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, what is it we're supposed to be doing? Hebrews 10 tells us, right, to goad each other to love and good deeds and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, watchfulness cannot stand by itself. Watchfulness has to have action associated with it. Watchfulness and readiness, the preparation that takes place, the proper Christian walk, the proper growth. As I said, how pathetic is it to uh, stand there and see it coming and then not do anything about it? Not understand the day and age in which you live. Not understand the present evil age of the church. So watchfulness and readiness. As I said, that's under any application of imminency. So what's the application here? This is Israel in the tribulation. These are believers under maximum conflict in the, in the tribulation. Things that we couldn't even dream about because it's unparalleled in human history. And... Uh, they have resisted the, uh, the false world system. They have not accepted the mark of the beast. They're not, they're not even able to participate in the, in the world economy. They're, I imagine a lot of them are getting pretty hungry since even food itself is, uh, requires the, the mark of the beast and so forth. Um, they're, they're being beheaded. They're being uh, massacred. All the description there. And so, but they have this imminent expectation of deliverance. They have the, uh, the Scriptures uh, encouraging them to endure to the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And so they're living under a, a principle of imminency in their day and age. Okay? Now, we also live under a, a principle of imminency, and that's the rapture. And it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be uh, before we're done with this class. All right? So the similarity is there. They're living under imminency. We live under imminency. Uh, there were others as well. I, like I said last week, I, I said I, th I thought the first advent of Christ was a concept of imminency, that a virgin was, gonna uh, was going to conceive and bear a son, that the Christ was going to be born. They were living under imminency there with the approach of first advent. The sign appeared in heaven and the, the wise men come from the east. It was, a, it was a principle of imminency. They knew that he was going to be born at any moment. 
The shepherds are out there and the angels say, come and see the baby has been born. They were living under imminency. Scripture gives us several imminency applications and it doesn't matter under any of them. Any application of imminency, the primary imperatives are watchfulness and readiness. And so our first imperative here is the, is the verb gregoreo for watchfulness. Watchfulness. Used 22 times in the New Testament. You see uh, quite a few of them there are in the Gospels, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Uh, and it'll return again in Matthew 26 when he takes his disciples into the garden, asks them to pray with him. And the praying is the watchful activity. The praying is the watchful activity. If you're not in a prayer mode, then you're not watchful. The imperative to be watchful is not the imperative to be in Bible class. The imperative to be watchful is the imperative to be in prayer. All right? I hope we understand that. Bible class will equip us with the doctrine. Bible class will motivate us to be watchful. But watchfulness is a prayer application that we see there in Matthew 26, verse 38, verse 40, verse 41, three times. And they kept falling asleep. And it was pretty frustrating for the Lord on the night in which he was betrayed. All right. Maybe my most vivid illustration of this was uh, on a night on guard duty in Germany. It was the anniversary of... Um, you remember when uh, President Reagan bombed Libya? And, uh, and then... We had, on, on the anniversary of that bombing, there were terrorist alerts uh, at military installations every year for many years afterwards. And so the anniversary would come, we'd be put on alert. The anniversary would come, we'd be put on alert. And on one of those anniversaries, not only were we put on alert, but we actually had a death threat. We had a, a terrorist death threat that was called in to our missile site in Germany. And the threat was very specific. Uh, it was called into the missile site and it said, Americans will die at midnight. And so I was on duty that night, and a friend of mine, a guy I led to Christ, um, were on duty that night, and uh, we were assigned to the front gate. And uh, the two of us were assigned to the front gate, and the shift we were given was 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. <laughs> so that Americans will die at midnight, we thought, okay, well, we got a, an hour either way. We're on the 11 to 1 shift, and uh, well, we'll see. So we get down there, and, uh, and we start praying. <laughs> with our eyes open, I'll tell you that. And uh, so, yeah, we're all armored up. We've got our flak vests on, and we got, we're locked and loaded, and we're ready to get blown up. We didn't know what was going to happen. Nothing happened then, I'll tell you that. But um, we didn't know that. We, we waited till 12, and then we waited till 1, and then our relief came, and we, we kept waiting, and we kept praying, and we went up to the, to the sleeping area. Anyway, um, that, that night will forever be locked into my memory. And the conversation we had about eternal life. And I had the chance to talk to this kid. He was from Alabama. I said, you know, if, if we do get blown up tonight, where are you going? I know where I'm going. Where are you going? And um, you have the opportunity to be on the alert in prayer. And uh, you don't have to close your eyes to pray either. You, know, you can keep your eyes open while you pray. And we appreciate that. All right. So that's Matthew 26, uh, Mark 13, Mark 14. Those chapters, Luke 12. All, uh, all related to these concepts that we're looking at here, the readiness, the watching that uh, the Lord uh, implores tribulational martyrs, believers, Jewish believers in the tribulation to be on the alert as these things approach. 
All right, we have the church applications, though, in Acts 20, 31, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Colossians 4, 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6, and verse 10, 1 Peter 5, 8, Revelation 3, 2, and 3, Revelation 16, 15. These are the church applications of watchfulness. So clearly, with all of those passages, Acts, the Pauline epistles, Peter, Revelation, we got uh, Revelation 3, okay, with, the, with all of those applications in the church, Clearly, we have warrant to take the, the principle, the concept of watchfulness and glean what we can out of watchfulness passages, even if it's not one of ours, like Matthew 24, okay? um, like uh, the Mosaic Law, like any passage in the Old Testament. Okay? Are we wrong by going back to the Old Testament and getting shepherding information out of Psalm 23? Are we wrong if we go back to the Old Testament, we get shepherding application from, from David and his example with uh, watching his dad's sheep and fighting the lion and fighting the bear and going forth to fight Goliath and so forth? No. Obviously, those passages, we can glean some powerful things out of those passages. And why do we do so? Because we have all of the church age passages, the New Testament passages, uh, giving us the, the warrant, the application for shepherding. Shepherding is a church function. Okay, watchfulness is a church function. We can adapt Israel's passages for our application. We can adapt Old Testament passages and so forth. All right, Acts twenty thirty one. Acts twenty thirty one. I want to get through these quickly and then move on to the second and uh, try to wrap up Matthew twenty four today. You know, we looked at some of these, didn't we? Acts twenty thirty one. <clears throat> Paul's farewell message to uh, the elders at Ephesus, elders plural, church singular, at Ephesus. And he says, therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears, night and day. And under, what kind of doctrine did they have? What kind of grounding did they have? Can you imagine face to face teaching from the Apostle Paul night and day for three years? Not just seven times a week, 14 times a week, night and day. For three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And how I, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. If the word of God has gone forth, you are accountable. If this pulpit has taught the doctrine of forgiveness, and you're sitting out there in some kind of rebellion, holding mental attitude sin against somebody, for years and not forgiving, well, blood's not on my hands. You've been taught. And that's the application. And you've got to be on the alert. And so you see it there. The, uh, in this context, you back up to verse 26 and you read what I just exhorted. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. If the pastor ducks or compromises or avoids something, well, then, yeah, blood's on his hands. But if he's taught the whole council, then be on the alert. You've got application to make. And, uh, and you will be held accountable. You will reap what you sow. And there's the, uh, the impact of it there. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, our next application of Gregoreo. It's a fun word study. I enjoy... Um, if you know anybody named Gregory, that's where the name Gregory comes from. Several popes were named Gregory. And uh, they were 
commended by the Roman Church for being on the alert, you know, defenders of the of the uh, Catholic Church and so forth. Gregory the First and Gregory the Seventh, I think, are the most prominent of the uh, different Gregories in Catholic history. But First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. There's a fivefold imperative for the Christian way of life, and that summarizes the book of 1 Corinthians, and it summarizes how we are to, uh, to live day by day. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Church age application. Colossians 4.2 Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Devote yourselves to prayer. What did we say earlier? The example with Christ and his disciples in the garden, being on the alert is a prayer function. And we see that here as well. And it's a devotion. Devote yourself to prayer. Devotion is something that you sacrifice other things for. If you're devoted to something, that means when push comes to shove, this is not what gets pushed. Or this is not what gets shoved. <laughs> All right? It's the other thing that gets shoved. Because you say, no, wait a minute. Prayer is my priority. I'm devoted to prayer. This other thing, it'll have to wait or it'll have to come after I'm done with my prayer. This comes first, right? What are you devoted to? It becomes obvious based upon what you sacrifice other things for. But if prayer is something you could take it or leave it and in really a priority, then uh, it's not a devotion. I think along with that, I didn't include Ephesians in this list, but um, probably because it's not in the, it's not Gregoreo, but it is um, in the. Uh, Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's Ephesians 6.18. I'm not sure why it's in our list because that's on the alert and that's prayer. So now I'm a little uh, upset. All right. Well, it's just obviously it's not a uh, it's not a uh, a Gregoreo application. It's a group neo. A group neo means uh, group nos. Group neo means to fall asleep. So it's stay awake. It's not Gregoreo. It's a group neo. Okay, so that's why it's not on there. But it should be. All right, it should be. The concept is there. You're in prayer. You're on the alert, which means you're not asleep. How much, uh, you know, if you're sleeping on duty, how do you, uh, how do you spot certain things? There's another guard shack story for you too, by the way. <laughs> Buddy of mine almost got caught sleeping by the sergeant, and uh, he heard the footsteps approaching. He knew the sergeant was right outside the door. Uh, he knew it was too late to open his eyes and act like he was awake, and the sergeant very quietly opened the door to stick his head in. And as soon as he did, this guy uh, says, in Jesus' name, amen. And then he opened his eyes and uh, passed it off like he wasn't really sleeping. All right. 1 Thessalonians 5. 
So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. It goes on to describe this. This is a wonderful text. Just read this chapter. Pay attention to the you and they distinctions. Um, the tribulation. Anytime you teach the doctrine of the tribulation, realize that that's about them. It's not about us. All right? You can never teach the tribulation in the second person. Because when you're teaching to church age believers in the second person, none of us are going to be here to see it. So anything you're talking about you or y'all, um, we can't relate the tribulation to you or y'all because you, y'all are going to be with me when the trumpet sounds and we launch airborne to the rapture of the church. But if you're going to talk about the tribulation, the day of the Lord that comes upon this world as a thief, then you've got to start talking about them. They. And that's what we have here all throughout. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. I mean, this is practically right out of the Old Testament, isn't it? Crying peace and safety. I feel like I'm reading Isaiah here. And uh, labor pains. That's practically all the Old Testament prophets talking about labor pains. Or the Lord in Matthew 24 talking about labor pains. And they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. In other words, we're church age believers. We are... Children of God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. We are children of light. We are New Testament saints. Church age, royal family of God. And so uh, we're not worried about the uh, day of the Lord for our own imminent danger. All right. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8 Be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. And I love this. Nothing to be afraid of. Do you have to be afraid of the roaring lion? No. The roaring lion is not the one to worry about. <laughs> the quiet lions are the ones to worry about because the roar is designed to scare you. This big lion's over here roaring and you take off running the other way and that's where the lionesses are, right? Come on, watch, the, watch Animal Planet with me one of these nights. Okay? Animal Planet, National Geographic Channel, Discovery. Oh, I'm, that range of my dial gets worn out. I, sharks and, um, and lions, I love them. I wouldn't want to be near any of them, but on TV it's okay. And, and these things, they, um, the roaring lion is not the one to be afraid of. If you resist him, he'll flee from you. But we're told here, okay... But if he gets you scared, if you take off your armor, if you run like a, like a coward, you're in trouble. All right, so be on the alert. You know, you got armor. you got a weapon. That adversary is defeated. Oh, he might roar real loud. Does he have teeth? Only if you arm him. Jesus Christ disarmed the rulers and the authorities when he uh, achieved his tactical victory on the cross. Triumphed over them. So you in fellowship, suited up in your armor, can defeat any uh, angelic conflict attack that comes your way. Finally, then, Revelation 3. For our application, Revelation 16 puts you back into a tribulational context. Revelation 3, verses 2 and 3. 
Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. And this, I say in sadness, has uh, an application for the church that uh, maybe used to walk pretty well. But that was, uh, that was some time ago. And you have a, I know your deeds, you have a name that you were alive. But basically that's a reputation that was uh, earned or that was uh, produced some time back. And you're actually now, presently, kind of on uh, borrowed time, as it were. You're, you're resting on laurels. You're coasting with a reputation that's not actually even accurate anymore. You used to be engaged in the angelic conflict. You used to be growing. You used to be armored up. Well, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. Once you start coasting in the Christian way of life, it's a, it's a sad, slow atrophy. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. You think you're done. I'm not done. I've done enough. And Jesus Christ says, you're not done yet. You've got more to do. What you're content with, all that was, was preparing you for what's coming up. And here you are, fat, dumb, and happy, thinking, well, that's enough. No, that's just the introduction. That was preparing you for these things coming up. I've not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard. Keep it, guard it, and repent. Believers don't like being told they have to repent. But when your thinking is at odds with Scripture, then the imperative is repent. Believers are told to repent far more than unbelievers ever are in the Scriptures. And uh, some believers don't like it. They don't like the Word telling them to repent. They don't like the pastor telling them to repent. Who do you think you are? never coming back to this church again how dare you well therefore if you do not wake up i will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour i will come to you you'll have your own personal thief coming as jesus christ administers divine discipline in your life all right finally uh the last example of gregor in the scripture comes in revelation 16 and uh, this is not our application, but it goes well with um, goes well with the Lord is telling us and or telling the Jews in Matthew 24. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together in the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. All right. So Israel's got a Gregorio application, a whole slew of them that they will have to apply in the tribulation. We have our own Gregoretto applications, a whole slew of them, that we apply day by day in our Christian walk. Both the church and Israel are given Gregoretto applications. Both the church and Israel are given preparation imperatives. Become prepared ones. Become prepared ones. So back to Matthew 24 then. Israel is commanded to be on the alert and be ready. Be on the alert and be ready. Become a prepared one. Now this is interesting because the imperative here is ginamai, 
to be or to become, and then the adjective prepared, hetoimos, H-E-T-O-I-M-O-S, hetoimos. And hetoimos is um, uh, not an imperative, it's just an adjective. It means that you have done the activity of preparation. The activity, the, the verb is hetoimazo, to prepare. But the, uh, the adjective, once you've, het, once you've prepared, you are prepared. And that's the, uh, this is the Boy Scout imperative right here. Be prepared, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't, you're not commanded to prepare. Obviously, you'll have to do that. You'll, you are commanded to be a prepared one. Understand the difference? So it's not an imperative of, pre- of preparation. It's, a, it's an imperative of being. And specifically, becoming what you are not now. Becoming what you are not now. Ginemai is always uh, the idea of, whereas Amy is I am, Ginemai is become. Something that you were not before. The word became flesh. The word was eternally with God. The word eternally was God. But the word in time became flesh and dwelt among us. There's huge difference between the eternal I am and then the becoming activity of Ginemai. That's what we have here is the becoming activity of Ginemai. So become a prepared one. Continuously become a prepared one. And so this would take us through, I'm not going to give you a bunch of verses, but this would give us through not only the adjective hetoimos, H-E-T-O-I-M-O-S, has 17 uses, number 2092. You also have the verb hetoimazo, 29 uses there. You have the, uh, the noun hetoimasia, preparation. That's what you're supposed to have your feet shod with. Your feet are supposed to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You may not be giving the gospel 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but you're prepared to. That preparation's been done. You got your shoes on. Got an adverb, hetoimos, that has three uses. And then you've got a uh, couple of uh, compounds, pro hetoimazo, where you prepare beforehand. Prepare beforehand. And that's Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, that we are saved unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Bible says a lot about preparation, and I can appreciate that. All right. In the New Testament, readiness is demanded in three respects. I stole this out of Kittle. I saw this in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, Volume 2, page 706. Uh, this was right out of Kittle, and, and I felt, okay, I'll, I'll steal it word for word, and then... As long as I attribute my source, it's not plagiarism. In the New Testament, readiness is demanded in three respects. Readiness for good works. Readiness to bear witness to the gospel. And readiness for the return of the Lord. And I hope that this flock is prepared in all three realms. Readiness for good works. Titus 3.1, 2 Timothy 2.21. Readiness to bear witness to the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 and Ephesians 6.15. And a readiness for the return of the Lord, Matthew twenty four forty four, and Luke twelve forty. Then the one place where I'll take issue with Kittle is that our return of the Lord is the rapture return. The return of the Lord he cites there is the second advent return of the Lord. But that's that's an understandable quibble, and we can we can still relate to the concept. Readiness to re, for the return of the Lord in the rapture, First Thessalonians four, First Corinthians fifteen, John fourteen. So if I'm going to pre- if I'm going to repair Kittle's scripture references, I would take out Matthew 40, 24, 44, and Luke 12:40 there.
All right. Readiness for good works. Are you ready for good works? <laughs> Are you prepared for good works? I like the, we have the idiom in modern English, we have the idiom, ready, willing, and able. Right? I think that's biblical. I can find verses that relate to all three of those. Ready, willing, and able. He does. But I find a lot of believers aren't ready. They're not willing. They're able if they allow God to empower them, but they rarely do that either. They got the idea that the Christian way of life is a spectator sport. It's something you watch. Okay? You know, like golf. We've got a golfer here today. I like that. You know, do you watch golf on TV? That's one thing. Do you actually get out there on the course and participate yourself? That's something else. And the sad thing is a lot of believers think the Christian way of life is the first, not the second. It's a spectator thing. Or that, well, you know, that's something I observe or I receive. I come to church and the pastor ministers <coughs> to me. And I am ministered to. All in a passive reception kind of thing. How childish. How selfish. All about me, 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 me. What do I get? What does it do for me? Okay. Christian way of life is what are you serving? What are you doing? How are you ministering? How are you edifying others? How are you glorifying Christ? You know, are you going to stand in the judgment seat of Christ and be evaluated based on all the great things that happened to you? No. Not what you receive, it's what you did. How you edified, the fruit you bore. So ready for good works. Titus 3.1. Titus 3.1. Are you familiar with this passage? Hope so. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to be to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Got to be ready. God opens the door. That's your door. Are you ready? 2 Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. So you're growing in the Word of God. You're being equipped. You're staying in fellowship, cleansing yourself from the sins that so easily entangle us. Because if you're out of fellowship, how can He use that? If you're walking in darkness, how can He use that? Cleanse yourself from these things. Be a vessel for honor. Be sanctified. Useful to the Master. Prepared for every good work. Have that Isaiah attitude that says, Here I am. Send me. I'm prepared for every good work. I'm in fellowship. I'm useful. I'm waiting for a door to be opened. Readiness to bear witness to the Gospel. Readiness for the return of the Lord. Alright. In the meantime, point C. In the meantime, while not neglecting watchfulness and readiness, believers strive to remain faithful and sensible. Let's look here at the rest of these verses in Matthew 24. In the meantime, while not neglecting the imperatives for watchfulness and readiness, believers strive to remain faithful and sensible. And I think that those who are watchful and ready will be the ones that are faithful and sensible. I don't think you separate these out. 
Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Matthew 24:45. See, this comes right after the imperative to be on the alert and to be ready. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master will put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? This is this whole section here that deals with our stewardship. What are we doing here while we're waiting for the Lord to come back? Are we just watching and waiting? Is that all we're doing? Christ didn't come back yesterday. I didn't do anything else yesterday, but I was watching for him. No, there's things to do in the meantime. While you're watching, while you're waiting, don't neglect that. But in the meantime, while that activity is going on, you have a stewardship. You're part of the royal family of God. You're part of the church. What are you doing? What's your gift? What's your ministry? What's your effect? Where do you fit into the body of Christ? Do you have a speaking function? Do you have a support function? You've been put in charge. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. You know, when that trumpet sounds, I want to be one of two places. I want to be right here in the pulpit. <laughs> That'd be the best. Or I want to be in the mine. I want to be my study, you know, sitting there at the desk. Reading, studying, preparing. Worst thing would be uh, being out of fellowship. Goofing off or something that doesn't edify. Maybe it's lawful, but it's not profitable. Okay. Now, blessed, happy is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. In other words, you're about your father's business. You are engaged in that which you have been assigned to do. There is a happiness. The trumpet sounds and you're like, yes! Right? Remember when the Lord Himself descends with a shout? I keep wondering, what's that shout? Is that His shout? Is that our shout? Is that the angel shouting? Grammatically, it's, it's not clear. The Lord Himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. So the voice belongs to the archangel, the trumpet belongs to God. Who does the shout belong to? doesn't say. Most likely it's Him, since there's no other noun given. It's His shout. Grammatically, it could be our shout. And I ponder that occasionally. How many faithless believers are going to shout something unpleasant? <laughs> okay. The trumpet sounds and the carnal believer is like, oh, really? <laughs> now? Oh, no. I'm not ready yet. And in that twinkling of an eye, in that brief moment, because this doesn't take long, in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ rise first, we who are alive will be transformed. How much time do you have to confess to, to 1 John 1, 9? <laughs> All right. Now, fortunately, at that moment when this body is transformed and mortality is cast off and immortality is cast on, you don't have a sin nature anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's, if you were carnal at that time, you're not carnal now because you're... Your flesh just went into the ground. All right. Um, or you didn't go into the ground. Your flesh just got transformed and got launched into, into orbit. Your flesh did not go into the ground. All right. Faithful and sensible. Pistos and phronimos. Faithful and sensible. Do I have some points on this? I do. All right. Faithful and sensible. Pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S, 
It means you're walking by faith. Uh, pistuo is to believe. Pistis is faith itself. Pistos is the adjective. The sphere of faith. You are faithful. Walking by faith. You're faithful. You're walking not by sight. You're walking by faith. That's what we're commanded to do. Meaning we're not trusting in our own understanding. It means in all our ways we're acknowledging Him. It means we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are faithful. Now, how old do you have to be? How mature do you have to be in the faith to be faithful? Any age. You could have been saved this morning. You could be a baby just saved this morning with a thimble full of doctrine or not even that. But what you have, you're trusting in. What you've grown in to that extent, you're walking by faith. You're looking at the Lord. Baby believers can be faithful. Adolescent believers can be faithful. Mature believers can be faithful. And each one of us is expected to be faithful. But we're also expected to be sensible. Phronimos. Uh, the, it's the thinking term. Your frame is your mind. And if your frame is schizo, then you're schizophrene. Ick, right? Your frame, your phroneo is a thinking term. It's where is your mind? Where is your focus? Are you sensible or are you out of your senses? See, it's, it's, it's a, sometimes it's translated sober. You're sensible. You're not out of your mind. You're of sound mind. Okay? Faithful and sensible. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master puts in charge of his household? To give them their food at the proper time. The household servants, this is a stewardship function and a main function of stewards, is uh, the table service. Food preparation, food provision. Food provision. All right, now, there is a difference between good and faithful and faithful and sensible. And I'll just simply give that to you here. Um, I believe this is the higher calling to be faithful and sensible because it references the stewardship and the authority that we're entrusted, the delegated authority. We are the, the faithful and sensible steward whom his master put in charge. We're in charge of the household. We're not just a mindless, obedient slave. We actually have responsibilities we've been assigned. But now back in chapter 25, one more chapter later, in verses 21 and 23, we find another expression here. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. Good and faithful slave. And here is where um, I think it's a, it's a distinct terminology, different from faithful and sensible. It's good and faithful. And slave rather than steward. You were faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And I think if you're faithful in the slavery stage, then you can be entrusted with greater things. You can reach the point that's being spoken of here in Matthew 24 with faithful and sensible. But you've got to start off good and faithful before you can ever get to faithful and sensible. I will put you, uh, you're faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. If you're going to be in charge of many things, you need to be faithful and sensible. Likewise, verse 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Once you're placed in charge, good and faithful has to step up. Good and faithful has to turn into faithful and sensible. Because now you're in charge. Right? And if you're in charge, you've got to be sensible. If you're not in charge, then you're just slavishly obedient. Good and faithful cuts it. 
You're not in charge. You don't have to think. You just obey. Be good and faithful. But if once you're in charge, ooh, now sensibility makes a difference. Because uh, you may have to encounter something and you don't have a specific command. You don't have to just obey and shove it off on somebody else's decision-making process. It's your decision-making process. You're in charge. Are you sensible? Okay. It's part of what we try to train our children up to when they enter into generational accountability. Once you're married, once you're a parent, once you have children of your own, hopefully by that time you're sensible. Okay? Because you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to evaluate circumstances. You're going to have to be sensible. You're in charge. Kind of pathetic if uh, if you can't if you're not sensible and you you're not really in charge and you you um, you know depend on grandma grandpa to make all the choices. Okay, you're good. You're sensible. You're in charge. That's what being in charge is. So good and faithful servant is the pronouncement in judgment, but faithful and sensible is required of slaves with stewardship responsibility. Faithful and sensible is required of slaves with stewardship responsibility. The Luke 12 passage is parallel to what we're looking at here in Matthew 24. Luke 12, 42 and 45. Hmm. And what I think is interesting... In Luke 12, he's, he's telling them to be dressed and be ready and keep their lamps lit and things that we're going to see coming up in Matthew 25. Um, but then Peter says, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? And so he, he focuses Peter's attention on this. And Peter and all the apostles, very quickly when the church age starts, are going to have to have an understanding for what the, uh, their stewardship actually is. And what happens if we have the wrong attitude? I think the Matthew text says the same thing that Luke 12 does. Yeah, let's look at this. Um, let's stay in Matthew. Matthew 24. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed or happy is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So even when you have charge over certain things, there's greater responsibilities yet to come. But now here's the corollary. Here's the contrast. What happens if he's not faithful and sensible? If that evil slave says in his heart. That evil slave says in his heart. Remember, we've got to be cautious with this. How do we respond to what we've been entrusted with? Hebrews warns us that, that there not be in any one of you, brethren, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. If that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. In other words, you totally blow it in the doctrine of imminency. And you figure either the rapture is forever away or you're still young and your physical death is still decades away. You've got time. 
you know, you, you got time. Just have fun now and get religious later. <laughs> if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour which he does not know. There's the day and the hour again. So consequences are assigned when stewards are not faithful. And, and do you see what happens when you lose track of imminency? Do you see what happens when you lose track of the perspective? Who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what you're supposed to be doing? How quickly do you go back to the wrong crowd? How quickly do you start, as it says here, Beating your fellow slaves. Now this could be metaphorical. While you're out there drinking with the drunkards. You're out there on your Saturday night binge partying with the boys and this and that. Mocking the Bible thumping fundamentalists and, and uh, mocking uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And even if you don't mock them verbally, you're mocking them with how you're living, the things you're doing. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hmm. Consequences. (laughs) So forget about hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Hypocrites. All right. So we have, I I think there's a progression. Some authors um, equate the two. They say, well, faithful and sensible is identical to good and faithful. There's no difference to be drawn between the expressions. I see a difference. I see a difference between a slave and a steward. And I see a steward that has responsibility uh, assigned to him. He's in charge. He's expected to be sensible because he's in charge. And if he's abusive towards those that he's in charge, he's in trouble. He is absolutely in trouble. Who's going to deal with him? Jesus Christ is going to deal with him. So you see it there. Thirdly, a more developed expectation of sensibility slash prudence is going to be coming up next in the parable of the virgins. A more developed expectation of sensibility slash prudence. That is, those with oil in their lamps, those with their wicks that are trimmed, those that are ready. They're expecting, they're prudent, they're sensible. Um, it's these other ones that are not sensible. And uh, they don't have the, the oil. They're not prepared. They're trying real quickly to run out to the 24-hour HEB to get their supplies. And by the time they make it back, the door's shut. Okay. Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. So we'll tackle that next week. We'll come back to this and we'll tackle that next week. But look at, in in Matthew 25, look at verse 2. You got this term, sensible. Five of them were foolish. Five were prudent or sensible. Uh, Verse 4, the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Verse 8, the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. <laughs> you know, I mean, what is this attitude? You did what you were supposed to do. I'm a slug. So give me half of what you got. 
What mindset is that? You were obedient to the plan of God. I was in defiance of the plan of God. I'm entitled to half of what you achieved. And it's interestingly enough, the prudent answered no. What, uh, what the Lord provided is what I need. You had your provision and failed to receive it. All right. Well, we'll tackle that next week. Father, thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. We thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, for the Olivet Discourse. Father, uh, I just thank you that uh, we're not subject to the confusion and the uh, discouragements that come about through the faulty doctrine out of this chapter. Father, I just rejoice that uh, you have preserved a lampstand where uh, the line upon line, precept upon precept teaching goes forth. It gives us stability, Father. It gives us assurance. It gives us the, uh, the appropriate perspective. And with imminency locked into our heart, Father, we are going to be faithful and sensible. We're not going to beat our fellow slaves. We're not going to be abusive. We're not going to be negligent. Father, we're going to be faithful because we're accountable day by day, moment by moment. Thank you for teaching and providing the impact of this doctrine. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen.